listening to Mike and John Got It Going On, a Livingston County-based podcast that's based in, well, Livingston County. And now, Mike and John. Two guys who have nothing better to do at this hour of the morning but sit in the basement and talk about stuff. That doesn't sound very professional. (laughs) Two guys that are happy to be here this morning. You know, we've talked about that we maybe misnamed this podcast and it should have just been two idiots in the basement. That, but I don't know. Have that to change be, the stickers yeah. and everything. I know. No, we're, we're locked in now. It's Mike and John. Got it going on. Brought to you by Firehouse Doors. Yes, and uh, we want to remind you for all things Mike and John. Got it going on. Go to mikeandjohnpodcast.com, Our new website. Lots right. of things you can check out there, including past podcasts, the Absolutely. daily podcast. Absolutely, and you can register for lunch that we draw for each and every Friday. And we are getting 4.20.80. Right. We're getting quite a lot of entries. We need uh, a bigger box. So that's true. We're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm, I'm also thinking that uh, we, you know, have to draw for uh, a $50 gift certificate for Murphy's Family Auto. Hmm. Maybe we should make that a birthday present. That's true. Because we, do, we do have a place where you can let us know about your birthday. And on Friday, we'll announce birthdays, too, for the week. So if the birthday falls within that week... You'd be eligible. Right. How about that? A birthday present from Mike and John and Murphy's Family Auto. Okay. Car knows. All right. I'm glad you figured that out. I just figured that out right. on my own. Right. Thanks for the consultation. That cost me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> also, details on Walk for Warmth. Yeah. That's coming up May 14th. We've got a walk team, and uh, we'd like you to be a part of it. We're looking to raise uh, at least $1,000 for Walk for Warmth, and uh, you'll find that link as well. If you go to the events section, uh, you'll find details about Walk for Warmth, and, uh, of course, uh, we'll put the link for uh, our team there as well. And um, also on uh, MikeAndJohnPodcast.com, you'll find all the latest headlines. We have news section there and uh, posting all the latest headlines, so uh, you can keep active on that. And then our Facebook page, uh, also a good place to see what the hell we're up to. Keeping things up to date. And are, are we talking about the uh, tornado in your news today? Uh, no. Is it in your news today? The tornado warning okay, that yeah, didn't the, happen? The no. tornado ha- warning that was supposed to happen, a you know, a tornado drill. It was drill. a state tornado drill yesterday. It was supposed to happen Wednesday at 1 p.m., right? right? And then right. the state canceled it because of weather. No, not the state, but the uh, various municipalities various, who okay. had uh, uh, severe weather in the forecast, Livingston County being one of right. them. Uh, they canceled it because with severe weather in the forecast, if they sounded the alarm during severe weather, people would misunderstand what's going on. People so would be say. confused yeah. is what you're saying. Right. Aren't people confused anyway? Very. So I mean, they, they watch. They watch this. They listen to this. Clearly, they're confused. They didn't want to confuse the confused. Right. All right. Got it. So that's well. You know, <laughs> it's one of those things. You're like, it. It, it seems ironic. We go yeah, so canceling a tornado drill yeah, because there's severe weather on severe weather awareness week. But I get it. Look, we know what will happen. We did stories on it. There were multiple stories out there about that there was going to be a state tornado drill at 1 o'clock. Guaranteed, if those sirens had gone off, with or without severe weather. It didn't matter how much warning you give people. Phone calls would start, emails, texts, comments would all be like, why is the sirens going off? What's going on? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So that happens anyway. So if you add in severe weather, then you kind of get it. Yeah. You get Chicken Little yelling, the sky is falling. Right. Well, and that's my job because it's time for news. Okay. Did you have more? Well, I did. Oh. It seemed like a natural transition. It said sky is falling. It seemed like, oh, this is news time then. (laughs) No, you know, I'll do do it after. All right. I'll do it after. It's time for Gigo News. All right. With John King, news director at Gigo News. Well, thank you. Do I get a raise or? Yeah. Yeah. 
bottom's a, there's a lever on your chair to lift you up a little. Right. Well, <laughs> have to help it out. All right, here's what's going on. A Livingston County man who pleaded guilty in the plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer says he and his co-defendants were hoping to disrupt the 2020 election and prevent Joe Biden from winning the White House. 26-year-old Ty Garbin of Heartland Township testified in federal court in western Michigan Wednesday that the plotters wanted to cause as much of a disruption as possible so Joe Biden could not defeat then-President Trump. Garbin was the first of the six defendants to enter a plea in the case in exchange for testifying against four others. The FBI arrested the group a month before the election, including raiding the manufactured home that Garbin had in the Heartland Meadows manufactured housing community off M59 between Pleasant Valley Road and Tipsico Lake Road. Garbin, an airplane mechanic, said the men trained at his property near Luther, Michigan, constructing a shoot house to resemble Whitmer's vacation home and assaulting it with firearms. Garbin was sentenced to six years in prison last August. The others face up to life in prison. Their trial continues. A Green Oak Township woman who said her home had been vandalized following public statements in support of a controversial event last year in Howell has been arraigned on charges of attempted false pretenses of $1,000 or more, but less than $20,000. According to a release from Green Oak Township Police, they received a report related to destruction of property August 10th of last year on Marcy Drive. The caller, Renee Gedeon, advised responding officers that someone had spray-painted racist graffiti on the side of her home. While beginning their investigation, officers say they learned through a Facebook post and GoFundMe campaign there was also damage done to Gedeon's farm as well. The release says the post and GoFundMe site indicated the suspects had damaged a gate, greenhouses, and produce at Gedeon's farm. But when officers attempted to locate the farm in question to gather further evidence, police allege they were led astray by Gedeon as to the location of the farm and that she eventually admitted that she had lied about even having a farm. Gedeon has declined to comment on the charges or the allegation that she lied to officers. Greeno Township Police say there are still no suspects identified in the spray paint incident. Anyone with additional information can call them at 810-231-9626. Those who donated to the GoFundMe account had their money returned. And state approval on Tuesday means a multi-million dollar project will move forward in downtown Fowlerville. The Michigan Economic Development Corporation and the Michigan Strategic Fund cooperated to approve the Ville project, which will include the construction of a new two-story building in downtown Fowlerville. When completed, the mixed-use building will contain eight residential apartments and commercial space on the first floor. According to the MEDC, the project will bring much-needed attainable housing and vibrancy to the downtown. The project is expected to generate a total capital investment of $3.7 million that's supported by a $1.45 million Michigan Community Revitalization Program performance-based loan. The village of Fowlerville is supporting the project through a 10-year Commercial Rehabilitation Act exemption valued at just over $450,000. And that's a look at what's going on. Thank you for that news report, John King, news director at Gigo News. Director, reporter, staff, right. writer. Thank you. He does it all he right. does. Janitor. Yes. <laughs> so let let me get this there. straight. Yes. Because the, the, I remember talking to Renee Gideon uh, regarding this. Right. The allegations of the racist graffiti in the farm right. that now has turned out there really isn't a farm or it's wasn't a, it's, a farm. It's an allegation. It's a, we we, we, we can't right. find the farm. The, the police have said that, it, that she lied to them. Now, that's their, that's their contention. Regarding the farm. Gideon has not commented. Uh, so Could we'll, the farm be like a little plot in her backyard where she's well, trying to grow Actually, melons? but you hit upon a very interesting point. I mean, is what is the definition of a farm? And so that's really what it boils down to. If she was renting space in someone else's land, 
that could, could be a say, bomb. All right, so but she didn't give. She's telling but, him where it is, but it's but not there. The allegation, and again, let's just be clear: it's an allegation. The allegation is is that she lied to officers about that there was destruction to the farm, and then said, according to police, that uh, indeed she did not have a farm. So that would be if that is the, the that turns out to be true, and we'll see, then that would be the basis for the charge. Gotcha. Um, but it does boil down to, uh, you know, what's the definition of a farm? Where was this damage if she was, if that was claimed? And, we'll, you know, again, we'll see what happens with that. The other issue here that is lost in this is, and just from my personal perspective, is the racist graffiti. Right. Was, uh, that, was that who, real or not th- real? Th- that has, not, has nothing to do with the charges. And the police made made clear in their press release, they made clear to say they have no suspects in the racist graffiti. And so from that, you may infer that it would be logical to assume that they did at least look at the possibility that the graffiti was done by uh, someone. It was like an inside job, right. to, for lack of a better word. They have not been able to substantiate that. So they're saying we have no suspects. That being the case, the, the, the racist graffiti, who spray-painted it, all right? Who right. put it there, and that part of the investigation... It got lost because they're still trying to find that's, a farm. That's, that, is certainly, that is certainly, you know, a, a contention that... It's a distraction, they it, call it. It gets lost in there, like, who did that? The now, wag if, of the doll. If, and, 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 again, let's just speculate. Uh, if it was done, if it was an inside job, I just want to be careful here not to taint people unnecessarily, but I think speculation, you know, it's common sense would say, well, wait a minute, if she lied about that, allegedly, then what's going on here? If that was the case, if that graffiti was not, you know, truly a, a, you know, vandalism incident, then uh, that sets back in a large way uh, the the notion that we have a problem not only in this county but in this country when it comes to things like racism and sexism and other things like that when somebody makes a false claim like this if that's what happened it, it makes everything it makes every it, it puts every it puts a cloud over everything yeah. if on the other hand that that was truly a graffiti vandalism incident it, this all gets lost now and whoever did that. They're smirking and smiling today, Walking knowing away. that they got they were able to do this and, and get away with it. Um, so it it's not a win win by any stretch. So we of don't the know if the two events are tied together or separate right. at this point. So eventually yeah. we'll probably find out. We're not sure how many years from now. No, we're not. Um, you know, Speaking of news stuff, I'm sorry. Oh, we are. Did I steal? Okay, your, yes. I steal your thunder again. Go All ahead, right. thunder steal. Well, <laughs> I was going to say, but you know, so uh, we're we're, we're going to give Rich Pearlberg a call here, and and we're going to talk about some news headlines. Uh, Brighton City Manager also uh, surprisingly yeah, resigning. Um, but we want to first uh, make mention of, as we just did, Murphy's Family Auto, a sponsor of this program. Call today to schedule an appointment. Five one seven. 552-3040. Murphy's Family Auto. Your car knows. Murphy'sFamilyAuto.com. All and right. we're going to give you a chance to win one of those $50 right. Murphy Family Auto gift certificates. I got it. All right. Don't you worry. Don't you give me the finger <laughs> right here. If you can see that on a camera. Like, don't don't show the number. number. We don't want everybody time to call him. It is time to call Rich Pearlberg. <laughs> <laughs> of course. We like to talk local events with, uh, with Rich, and uh, we definitely have a couple going on this morning. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently. Apparently. Good morning. Good well, morning. This is your wake-up call, Rich Perlberg. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. When I, was that uh, Robert Williams thing? Oh, my God, it's early. Yeah. <laughs> well, when I asked you, I said, is 6.45 too early? Your answer was, of course it is, and I'll be ready. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I got my coffee, so I'm, I'm doing the best I can. Although, to be honest with you, I wish I had some of that uh, lavender vodka. Oh yeah, yeah. we were talking about that. That does yesterday. sound that does sound interesting from the Hamlet uh, lavender farm. Could you put that in your coffee though? Sure. Uh, I don't know. I, don't know. I, think I think you would have two separate. You'd have like a shot in a cup. Yeah, <laughs> vodka's not a coffee mixer. No, uh, no you know so. that's not more of a it's more of a whiskey bourbon thing yeah. that you can. All right. you know. Uh, I so. mean, not that that's what I've heard. I, <laughs> my partner here has a problem. <laughs> said I, you know, the Jameson's bottle. He claimed to have swapped out for something, but I think it just disappeared. I don't know what you're talking down about. Down here, no drinking. <laughs> game. Yeah. Hey, I, it's a little snobbish coming in there, but it's, it's, in Ireland, it's pronounced Jemisons. Wait, what? It's, it's not Jemisons. Oh, it's Jemisons. Oh, Jemisons. That's, that's Jemisons. Oh, Jemisons. Oh, Jemisons. Oh, Jemisons. Oh, Jemisons. 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 Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, <laughs> now we know. Yeah. So, Rich. Just, just trying to help you guys. All right. We appreciate that. We need a lot more help than <laughs> yeah. that, buddy. So, you know, just before we called you, Rich, we were talking about the incident uh, with the... Um, the racist graffiti uh, on the woman's home in Green Oak Township. Uh, in the who, case of the, we don't know where, where the farm where is. The, the missing farm or the alleged I'm, missing I'm farm. I'm confused about that, so yeah. I wish I would have listened to that. No, okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, uh, And so the police, you know, they charged this woman who had said that this graffiti had been spray-painted on her home. Um, and they charged her with false pretenses because they said that, uh, indeed, she. they say she lied to them about having a farm. And then she said some of the vandalism was done on her farm. They say that there was no farm and that she admitted to them she lied about it. Well, see, and the thing that tied in with this with the farm was it was right around Melonfest and then uh, right. also, and also the uh, farmer's uh, market. Right. So she was claiming she lost all this money and that was money that was going to be used to buy a new truck or used truck for her, her farm stuff and to haul the melons. So you, you had all these things tied in and now it's, it all seems like it... It's under Allegedly it's under a cloud. We'll yeah. say that everything's alleged, and we'll we'll see what what comes out of that. But I guess to the larger point, and uh, and then we'll just wrap this up because we've talked about this enough. Uh, but to the larger point, I, what's lost in all this is the actual racist graffiti. And yeah, is there any doubt about that? I mean, well, they say that there's no suspects. Uh, so yeah, yeah. The, the police, it would seem to me, they would have investigated whether she did this or someone in her family did this. And they're saying at this point they don't have any suspects. So, in other words, they don't have any proof or anything that would lead them to believe it was done by okay. her her family. And they're still looking at it. So it's unfortunate to me that if this was indeed a vandalism incident, that it kind of gets lost in this. Gotcha. And it doesn't really get... Fully, you know. There's a whole lot of questions but, left to be answered. That, that's mind, true. Dude. All right, enough with the melons already. Gosh, Rich. Um, <laughs> you know, we call What's you and you go on about melons. About yeah. melons. Let's, let's talk about <laughs> Nate Geinzer. That that came as quite a shock, and John, one of the uh, the first to break that story. So the yeah surprise resignation after last Thursday's council meeting. Uh, supposedly right before midnight, Geinzer emailed his resignation and said, "I'm done after." Is that how it happened? Yeah, okay. that's what I. That's what uh, we heard. So, what's your take on this? I mean, just from the outside, look, city managers, village managers come and go. This this is not anything that's necessarily new. Um, well, yeah, you say that, and, I, and I've always thought that too. But I mean, in Brighton, that hasn't been the case. Uh, Dana Foster was there for forever, and right. then Nate's been there. What about six years? Right. And how? Shay Charles was here forever, and then and then all of a sudden they have a revolving door. So so and, and I want I want to say heads up that I have no inside information. It's been a long time since I've had anything to do with the city of Brighton. What the hell are we talking to you for? 
Well, there you go. <laughs> you got up for nothing. Unless you know. Unless you know. Oh, the you, experts you are. You here. just <laughs> named this segment, Rich. It's the less you know with Rich Brill. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Write that down so we don't forget it. But I, but I do know some of the council members a little bit, and I, I, I was, I'm in the same Rotary Club that Nate's in. Okay. Uh, and, and I, yeah, I was shocked by it from from two aspects. First, uh, I hope Nate knows what he's doing. It seems clearly from the outside a fairly rash move. Something must have been going on. For I mean, you just you just don't get that upset and walk away from a job. You know that you live in this town for eighteen years. You you've been the city manager for six years. Something goes wrong at a meeting, and you and you dash off a resignation letter. Yeah, yeah clearly. Rash. Yeah, do you clear, know anybody else yeah. who would do such a who thing? Who would just rashly, after almost twenty years, just say, <laughs> "Have enough of this place"? I had enough yeah. of your crap. So, yeah. so clearly, I mean, the 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 presumption is, and I think it makes sense that whatever happened at last Thursday's council meeting was that not was, the reason, if it even at all was involved. The last a straw, probably. It was, yeah. uh, you know, the proverbial straw or whatever. Right. right. But, but, but I got another take on it. Okay. And, and if I'm if I'm on the city council, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the mirror because council members, school board members, they've got a, only a couple of jobs: hire your superintendent, or your manager, approve a budget, and set some overall policies right. and see if it's being carried out. You hire your city manager to do it, and unless they were dissatisfied with Nate and, and wanted to go in this direction, they kind of wake up the next morning and saying, "We just lost our city manager, and that wasn't our goal." Right. So what, what did we what did we do about that? And and I gotta believe they were happy with him. I've, I've done a this, this goes against all my instincts, but I've done a little bit of research. And uh, he's, two years ago, he got a big, big honk and raise. Uh, they were saying glowing things about him, and he's back then his total compensation package was up about one hundred twenty-eight thousand dollars. Right. That's, that's a nice chunk of change for uh, running a city of eight thousand. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. There's we, an opening there. We could apply. All right, we're gonna we gotta we go. Do it as a team. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys would have to take a pay cut. Oh, yeah, the podcast money is just amazing. but you know, uh, I guess that your the point that you bring up is is well made. In that, uh, you what you want is consistency. What you want, if you're a city council or a school board, I'm glad you brought that up too because we've seen that happen around here. Uh, where it is, you're right. As you know, where does it? Where's that line between micromanaging? Like you hire these people that have the expertise, that have the 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 the, the knowledge to do these things. You set some overall boundaries and then let them do their job um now they're faced with so now the council's attention is now diverted so now they have to find a search firm they have to go through that process then they have to post the position then they have to do all these interviews they can't just use in you know. <laughs> right then they have to go through all these interviews they'll you know select a candidate then they've got to negotiate a contract who's that person going to be how much experience are they going to have how much money you're going to pay them do they know the area what's the learning curve so you've really taken two steps back uh and you and so as a council like you said you have to look in the mirror and go wait is this worth it why why have why has this happened and how much are we involved in this and do have really, we done the city the right are we treating are we doing right by the city do you really think they're well, going to look in the mirror exactly this is our right but i mean and it could happen i mean Nate could have said hey uh this is my last six years i'm and it could have been a smooth departure and he still would have had to do all that right but but this wasn't 
You know, Nate Nate apparently, not that it has a whole lot to do with it, but he he started a consulting firm or something last year. And and but so, but I can't I can't imagine that firm's gonna gonna bring him one hundred and thirty thousand dollars right away. Right. So so I I. I, I it's, this wasn't a planned thing. So, so no. yeah, can, can can they move forward? Can their next person be a, an excellent person and, and dive right in and right. and uh, uh, be a good leader for staff and a good thing for the city? Of, of course, you you've got to replace people. Um, I, I think at Howell Schools they they went through like a super a few years back. They, yeah, they it was kind of revolving door there for a while, you know? yeah. right? And then and then they bring in a guy who. who by most accounts, uh, has done a great job there. Except apparently, he reads children's books. That's that's a, that's a <laughs> oh, that's a that's a big problem apparently for some in this community. Yeah, they got a big problem with that. Well, yeah, I mean, I, so, so, so that's part of the process. But this one right. seems to be unplanned, and and I would say. Well, it, and therefore unnecessary, right? And and it, it's a it's an unforced error, if to, to yes. use a sports metaphor. Well, I would say it's a forced error. Somewhere along, yeah. there's something going on. Okay, there was mm-hmm. some sort of, and and that's total speculation. I just right. can't believe that because one council member. Uh, but the, the, the one right. I mean, if you watch that video. Yeah, if you, I didn't, but yeah, if but you I, watch the video, the the new council member Paul Gibson. I mean, it, it is a sharp exchange when he is going uh, talking to Henry Outlaw, the assistant to the city manager, about this grant, and okay. it, it, it gets okay. very heated. And twice, Geinzer tries to intervene, and I think trying to represent his guy, Henry Outlaw, to say, "Hey, hey, hey, well, hold on." And twice, Gibson like slammed him down. I'm talking basically without saying the words. It was shut up. Uh, now it's it's not it's not if you watch that part of the video it's it's a very testy exchange I think that's a well, fair description. Ironic about the whole thing is he apparently was upset because the city put something up on Facebook right. to make it look like this thing was a done deal, right. and he didn't like that. Which okay, you got any administrator knows you got to take care of the care and feeding of your council, but. The ironic part is, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, they ended up voting for the grant seven yep. zero, including Mr. Gibson, <laughs> yeah. including Mr. Gibson, who tried to say, "Look, I'm not against the grant, but I'm against you saying this out loud before it's a done deal." And, well, I, I, and you I can say, "Where he's going?" You can yeah. be upset about that and yeah. let it be known quietly after the meeting. That's what right. I was saying. Like, what's more effective? You making a big stand publicly and you know, look, I'm the new guy on council, and you've got to deal with me now. Or silently after the fact saying, hey, in the future, I really don't want to see this. Or I think that, that this is not something that we should be doing. Yeah, you let's know. set a process. What's, what's more effective? Yeah. Then that's a question where you – and look, it's politics. I mean, the council members and the school board members, whatever your case may be, these are elected officials. Uh, so they're they're political, whether they're – you know. and I, under, I understand it's nonpartisan, but yeah, right. Well, was, and, and superintendents recognize this and, and, and deal with it in various ways. There is a clear organizational chart. The, the city manager reports to the council who reports right. to the voters. Okay, But but I think sometimes it's important work and it's part of the grassroots, but you got to remember probably a thousand people voted in the last election. Most people aren't paying attention. The city, you're, you're not the most important person in town if you're if you're on the city council. So, so I get a little bit 
amused when these guys start flapping their, their you know, right. actually like peacocks. They, they think they're senators or something. <laughs> oh, I, it's well, right. yeah, but, <laughs> <laughs> I like to say the yeah. House Well, yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Well, uh, very interesting. Uh, yeah. It, and so, obviously, we, we we don't have any answers. It's the less you know. Uh, <laughs> all right, good. Well, that's right. it. We'll, we'll get a little bit less of what you know next week. <laughs> but I do. But I think, to the broader perspective, I think it's providing some insight and some context to these things. It helps to, to bring them because there's too many unanswered questions, things that aren't answered in the public arena. And so, I guess providing whatever context and background we can is hopefully helpful. I hope it can be, yeah. and I, I'm going to go look for my vodka. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully you'll recover by next uh, Thursday. And it's 5 o'clock yeah. somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but, it doesn't matter, AM, PM. Whatever. It's 5 o'clock somewhere. Yeah, you know, it's American Samoa, but it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> All right, Reg, thanks for joining us today, buddy. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Interesting conversation. Yeah. Our uh, community spotlight is coming up. We're running yeah, a little bit we later. We the alarm. I, I, yeah, we're, I got the we're alarm. Running late. Don't worry. All right. So community spotlight is sponsored by Jordan Genso with the Genso team at Remax Platinum. Jordan enjoys teaching people about the real estate transaction process along with discussing current market conditions. So even if you're not currently looking to buy or sell, you just want to have a worthwhile chat with a real estate professional, call Jordan, 248-444-9777. All right, we're calling Diana Stampfler. Uh, and she is an author who's going to be making a presentation tonight at the Hal Carnegie District Hi, Library. Hi, Diana Stamp. Uh-oh. 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 Right. She okay. must be on another call right, with try. another podcast. Oh, oh, oh this oh, could be okay. Diana Stamp. Yeah. I think it is All right. Diana. Good morning, Diana. Good morning. How are you? Uh, we're doing good. Sorry, we uh, we messed up the time there. Our, our timer was off a little bit. Actually, it was just oh, us. Oh, <laughs> I hope you'll bear I with us. I'm glad it wasn't yesterday because I was in uh, the UP and it would have been 6 a.m. Oh God! <laughs> Is the UP an hour behind us? The western, the western, yeah, like the, toward yeah, four the yeah. counties that yeah. touch Wisconsin are an hour behind. Oh, yeah. that's right! I forgot about that. So, Diana, you're yeah, we kept traveling in and out of counties and in and out of time zones. Oh yeah, well, I bet your your phone got a workout changing the time then. <laughs> <laughs> so, interesting. ladies of the light is uh, is the topic in the books. Let's uh, let's talk about what you're going to be uh, covering. Uh, well, I'm excited to be back um, down in Howell. I was there uh, in 2019 with my book, Michigan's Haunted Lighthouses, and we had uh, like a, one of my largest crowds ever over at the Opera House. Um, so I'm excited to be back and, and during Michigan History and Women's History Month to to share stories about these female keepers who really were pioneers. They, they're so inspiring to read and hear their stories and their determination and the fact that they were working in a government job side by side with men in the 1800s is unheard of, really. But even more so, they were paid the same salary. That's amazing. I don't know where things changed along the way where women <laughs> fell from that rank, but in at least lighthouse service, um, it wasn't a big salary. Keepers were paid, you know, sometimes three, four hundred dollars a year, wow. so you weren't making a lot of money at that job, uh, and you were working your tail off. I mean, you were climbing towers and hauling oil and polishing lenses and taking care of the house and the garden and. And if you were a woman, maybe you were also raising children. Some of these keepers had as many as 10 children. 
Um, so you think about the multitasking that goes on today, and boy, these women had us beat big time on that. Well, then, you know, you look at the size of some of these lighthouses, and that, that's got to be a heck of a chore, not only for the women, but the guys, too. What's, what's like, one of the biggest ones that you, you researched for the, for the book? Well, you know, we do have each light is is was hand designed or selected for the community in which it was built, um, depending on um, how close to the water they could get. If it, if there was a bluff that they could build on, so the height of the tower made a difference, and based on where it was at, um, and then the design of that tower, the the day mark, which is the how the tower itself is painted, was also distinguishable, so that that ships traveling through the daytime could look over and recognize a light by the way it looked. And then each of the houses were, were different and oftentimes they were set up as duplexes uh, or they added on or they maybe added a second house later for the assistant keeper. Um, but the, um, the families, you know, you sometimes had quite a lot of people. I always wonder because these bedrooms weren't very big, like how many kids to a bed they had and how high up they stacked their kids in the corner to find room for them all. Um, but it really was their home and, and even though they did make a big salary they didn't have to buy or build or rent a house in the community they, they were provided this house to live in and they were provided everything they needed to keep that house going so it, it wasn't so bad but um, I think you know some of the more interesting stories to me are the keepers and the families who were living on islands in the remote parts of Lake Superior um, and what you know what that must have been like uh, many of the women in the in the presentation were from Chicago, and so they they ended up marrying these these either Civil War soldiers or uh, maritime guys, and then they then they find themselves with a bunch of kids laying, uh, living on an island at a lighthouse, where from December to April no one else is on the island, and they're living this just remote, isolated existence. Uh, the, the, the mental and the physical um, things that they went through were amazing. Well, that's what I was going to say. You look at the weather that's along there. Well, you know, it's uh, the lakefront effect, and, all that. And stuff I think the in. the wow. point you make is that I mean, you're going back to the 1840s, and um, you know, uh, I'm, I, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm just finishing up a book about women's suffrage, talking about the women's suffrage movement, which began in the 1840s, and even at that time, society. You know, like women were not, you know, it was frowned upon for women to even speak in public. Um, and so at a time when that's the case, where women are just beginning to advocate for themselves politically, uh, you've got these women who are, like you said, they are holding these jobs that were tr traditionally men's jobs. They're getting paid the same amount of money, and they are doing the kind of work, labor-intensive work, that most of society would think, oh, women can't do well, that. And, and nowadays yeah, especially, yeah, you know. It, 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 now women, and women were doing it and were keeping up the standard, plus, plus, raising kids at the same time. That is amazing. Yeah, and it was interesting because uh, oftentimes, in, in most of these cases, the, these were women who were married to the man who was the head keeper, and he either died or was incapacitated, and she would step up into that role. Um, and I don't know if it was just easier to, you know, if they didn't have enough men, and it was easier for them to just let the women continue on because they knew the job. Right. Um, or if there was just this solidarity with them. And, and we have a couple instances um, 
one lighthouse, which no longer exists down in the Detroit area, where um, the woman was removed from her post. Her husband, she was the wife of the keeper. He died. She took over. She was removed. But there was such a... Um, the, the community went crazy about it, and they demanded that she be put back in her position. They started sending letters to the lighthouse service, and she got the job back. Wow. I mean, these these people, the communities, really got behind these women. Um, it's a story outside of Michigan, but we had a keeper in uh, Michigan City, Indiana, and her name was Harriet Colfax, and she served there for over 40 years. She was in her 80s when she retired. She was under five feet tall, and there were times, oh, there were stories that go around that the ships and the captains that were traveling through the Great Lakes rarely would say that I'm going to or coming from Michigan City, the port of Michigan City. They were coming to or going from Miss Harriet's port. <laughs> they, I mean, they, they just... I don't know. I just it, it was just amazing to me to see the level of respect that these women had right. um, and the dedication that they had from the people around them in the community to keep them in place. Even up as late as our our last paid female keeper as a true lighthouse keeper uh, was in the 50s. Um, but that's a hundred that spans 100 years, you know, from 1849 yeah. to the mid 1950s, where these women really were, you know, like I said before, pioneers in in what they were doing. And they were largely phased out by automation at that yeah, point? I was going to say, where are we at with lighthouses now? Yeah, so um, when they were first established, and Michigan's earliest light was built in the 1820s, which is Fort Gratiot and Port Huron, still active, uh, and you can tour it, uh, before Michigan was even a state that was in place. Um, the lighthouses were then established through the uh, federal government. They put positions often came appointments from the president's office. Um, and then in the 1930s, they transitioned into the Coast Guard. And then we started to see more of the guards maintain taking over the lights, and then civilians could apply for those positions. And then as they slowly became automated, they still had keepers there for some part of that. Uh, but those kind of really started to phase out as we got into the 60s and 70s. Right. And now, you know, we have active lights in Michigan still. They are all automated. Some of them still operate as museums. Um Fort Grash is a good example. That's still active, and you could tour that. Um, and so they still are just um, – they're great historical sentinels for the state. I think often, you know, if we ever had a state symbol – it would either be the bridge, which in itself is kind of like a lighthouse because mm -hmm. that's what it is, is to protect people, or it would be one of our 129 lights. We have more than any other state, and I don't think outside of Michigan people – recognize or realize that well they're very distinctive you know we i used to live in saint joseph and um you know the saint joseph light i mean like you were saying each one of these structures they have a different paint scheme or even just a different build to them they the the the, uh, the outline going, right the outline of them are different and right. some of these most of them are just you know really beautiful architectural gems uh, when you see them, but but then they serve this historical purpose that they are still you know working uh, today. So for tonight's presentation, so tonight you'll be at the Howell Carnegie District Library uh, from seven till eight thirty. Ladies of the Lights, uh, tell us what if people are coming out tonight, they want to see this presentation. What are they going to see? 
Well, we're going to virtually, or I guess not virtually, in person, we're going to take a tour uh, around uh, the Great Lakes. So we're going to start down in southwest Michigan. St. Joe isn't in the presentation, but they did have a female keeper. Her name was Jane Enos, and she was the boss of two men during her career. So that's a pretty significant thing there, too. Um, But we're going to travel uh, along the coast of Lake Michigan, up to Lake Superior, and down Lake Huron. And uh, I'm going to introduce the, the audience to about uh, half of the women uh, who have kept lights and tell their stories. And then um, I will have copies of both of my books available after the presentation, Michigan's Haunted Lighthouses and uh, the new book, Death and Lighthouses on the Great Lakes, both of which have stories of female keepers in them. Um, And then there's a children's version of the haunted book as well. So we'll be there for about 90 minutes and we'll give them the presentation and and talk a little bit about it. I, I did a virtual event last night and um the one lighthouse keeper that i was mentioning in the detroit area who got reinstated her uh great great granddaughter was on the virtual presentation wow pretty cool Um, so i love it when i get a connection every now and then some descendant of one of these keepers is there and uh then i get a little sidetracked with press with talking with them at the end well maybe maybe tonight you'll get somebody from the lake shemung lighthouse that will come (laughs) that's a bar i'm just i'm just kidding lake shemung is a little lake here i'm just kidding I'm being I, facetious. Before we let you go, Diane, I want to ask you what's a, what's a, what's most likely to haunt a lighthouse? Is it a former keeper or no? Good question. Um, I would imagine it, in most cases it is the former keeper. Okay. Um, not, I mean, I, some of them are keepers who died there. Yeah. Um, but in most cases, these are the keepers um, that served long periods of time. I mean, we have some of our keepers in Michigan, both men and women, who clocked in over forty years and some of them at the same light so when you're that committed to an industry and to your job and it really isn't just a job right uh it's a way of life and uh i kind of admire that i don't know maybe i'll come back and haunt a lighthouse (laughs) (laughs) you know it's funny you know you say like it's a way of light now it's funny because some of these lighthouses i know that the state runs they you can um you can like stay there for the weekend you know, they've, they've, sure, they've turned into, like, bed and breakfast tempted. almost, where it's like, oh, you can live like a light keeper. And I'm like, yeah, not really. Yeah. Uh, we <laughs> have a handful of programs in Michigan which have volunteer keeper programs. And wow. you stay there, run the tours. Some of them out in the water, you are actually doing restoration. And currently, we only have one that's a bed and breakfast, which is the Big Bay Point Lighthouse up north of Marquette. It is also haunted. So one word of advice on that. Do not read the ghost stories before you go to bed. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. I did that, and I don't think I slept all right. night. Right. What's that sound? What's that sound? And there's got to be some strange noises in those old lighthouses, man. What is that? And if you're up on a bluff and you're near the water, and oh, the water no. is blowing. Okay. That, that's just yeah. room for haunting right. right there, man. <laughs> <laughs> We're Saggy and Scooby to solve this mystery. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Diana Stampler uh, giving a presentation Thursday night, tonight, 7 o'clock at the Hal Carnegie District Library's uh, Ladies of the Lights, and uh, people can go to the library's website. Uh, I think they're going to start letting people in around 645. And of course, you'll have her books available. And uh, Diana, thanks for joining us. I think it sounds like a fun presentation for folks to check out. 
it's going to be a great uh, great way to celebrate Women's History Month for sure. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us Thank today. Thank you. All right. Our Community Spotlight brought to you by Jordan Genso. Thank you again for sponsoring. You can give him a call, 248-444-9777 or 9777. Uh, you can also find him on Facebook, Jordan Genso Community Servant, Community Realtor. All right. Now we got to go back to the beginning where we started. I'm sorry I interrupted you. I interrupted you. <laughs> so one of the things I was going to point out for those that missed yesterday's uh, yesterday's post show content right. post show content exclusive yeah exclusive. There, was, there was kind of a breaking story and uh, as as we talked about things <laughs> right. that happened kind of behind the scenes it was a little bit that, behind the scenes that may uh, have driven folks away from their position it was it was job. you know like the Geinzer story it, it was, was another it was just another in and of itself you're just sort of it was just one of those things you go what is happening here so so yeah that was revealed yesterday yeah. this it's it's comical yet not <laughs> it's it was comical. It was it was hard to believe. So if you get a chance, you can even speed through if you yeah, want. If yeah, you right. watch most of it, that that was pretty funny. Uh, also, um, we talked about uh, our website, which is mikeandjohnpodcast.com, and some of the things you can find there. Right. Um, one of which is the merch store. Right. Where you can buy your your stickers, your T-shirts, coffee right. mugs, and we are looking into with Spirit of Livingston uh, some other products. Uh, it, it, and I, I yesterday. Uh, you know, I, I teach courses locally here, and one of my students <laughs> said to me, they're like, well, if you had a sweatshirt, I'd buy a sweatshirt, but you don't have a sweatshirt. We might have to get So that. I was like, well, maybe we'll maybe, have to work on sweatshirts. Maybe that'll be our fall. Yeah. Our and fall I said, line. I go, that's what I said, I go, wait till our fall, it's exactly the line I use. I go, wait till our fall line comes yeah. in. She's like, well, I like sweatshirts no matter what time of year. Well, I'm like, you know, all right. Maybe like, maybe for someone's, Balloon Fest, you're going to need them. Someone's not getting an A in this course. Wow. Uh, no. <laughs> so, it's all politics. Yeah, no. Uh, but, but, yeah, so different products. But As yes. some of you know, sometimes I stop and get my cup of coffee on my way in, yeah. and uh, I happen to stop today. Okay. And, and something fell out of my pocket oh. and there was a lot of them that fell out of my pocket okay. and may have landed on the counter by the cashier right and there's no charge now those are there's multiple ones. locations of that particular yes. place which one well, which which counter were they at do you want me to tell that well we went why this far not? why not yes. yeah we've gone this far michigan avenue all right Right. So, so Mug and Bob's Michigan Avenue. See, right. see our friends there. So, they, they said I could leave them. Now I don't. There's limited edition. I didn't drop. Right. Maybe. I don't know how many. There's I probably twenty twenty five. What the what? I'm giving away the farm. Are you? The, you just have to find our farm. No, no, don't go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. All right. <laughs> of course, the we police are... tried and they couldn't go there either. <laughs> hey all right, I'm sorry. At least we gave you the location. I'm sorry. I really could not. For those, I need to check myself at the door. Of course. We are brought to you by our friends at Firehouse Doors, right. located in Howell, serving Livingston County for the past 24 years, residential and uh, business garage doors. Right. Commercial rolling steel overhead door needs. They got it all. And of course, veteran-owned, Mike, a proud U.S. Air Force veteran. They are a family-owned business, and they strive to treat each customer like family. And for the past 21 years, Firehouse Doors has been Livingston County's only authorized distributor for CHI overhead doors. And uh, you have one week Left. Time is running out to take advantage of that Mike and John bargain. Right. Until April 1st, if you tell them Mike and John sent you, you get 5% off your total bill. No exclusions apply. All right. Thank you to Firehouse Doors. Two cent history lesson today. Bring it on. March 24th, it's International Day of Achievers. Oh. We're not allowed not to our celebrate. Day. Not uh, our it's day. It's where we pay tribute to achievers in any field, whether it be doctors, scientists, teachers, social sure. workers, podcasters. <laughs> 
Right. <laughs> Those so, who have such an achievement. used their imagination and vision yeah. to ease or enhance the existence of humans. <laughs> who wrote that? Gene Whoever, Roddenberry? <laughs> that's, 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 <laughs> are we on TikTok yet? National yes. Chocolate-Covered Raisin Day. Mm. Chocolate, you know, if you're going to make a raisin taste better, that's one of the ways I to like do I like raisinettes. Those are okay. I'm more of a goober what's, man. What's a, <laughs> but you knew that. Yeah. <laughs> what's the difference between a raisin and a goober? What's in a goober? A peanut. A peanut. That's what chocolate-covered peanuts. Ah, that's the goober. Yeah. Goobers and raisinettes. Yeah. I like uh, the little mint ones, chocolate-covered mints. Um, what are those called again? The, uh, then there's the snow, snow There's snow caps. The snow caps, but those are... I don't like snow caps because I don't like the little crunchy... You get the mint the little, inside. I don't like those, the little sprinkle things. I don't like <laughs> sprinkles. Never like sprinkles. <laughs> they fall all over the place. Uh, then you're licking your finger to try yeah, and pick well, them up. Well, except the dancer Just me. at the landing strip. But uh, anyway, go on. <laughs> Such an idiot. <laughs> He's a goober. 1958, Elvis Presley was drafted on the state. The king got uh-huh. his first 65-cent military haircut. Wow. James Patterson was the barber. Oh, wow. Can you imagine? The guy was probably sweeping up the hair to sell. It could have. If he didn't. Right. He's a goober, too. 1989, the U.S. tanker, the super tanker Exxon Valdez, mm. ran aground, Bly Reef. Yes. 11 million gallons Oops. of crude. Sorry. Yeah. And that was the one, if I remember correctly, that was the one where the captain, they were coming to the the, the, the most tricky part of the passage out of that peninsula, that, that bay. And he took a nap. And he was like, yeah, yeah hey, you rookie, I got to go down, I'll be down below. I got the bottle of hack and a coffin I got to get to. And, uh, <laughs> and he, a little grub. And he's down below. It's like, this is the trickiest part of the passage. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He, he got he got a I don't promotion, think, didn't I he? don't believe he captained any uh, further ships. That. I, I don't believe so. 1992, a court in Chicago settled the Millie Vanilli class action suit oh, thank God. by approving cash rebates of up to $3 to anybody proving <laughs> they bought the group's music right. before November 27th of 1990 the date the lip singing right. uh, scandal broke. You so know, you got your three bucks back. I, yeah, that whole which thing wasn't it, all of in it. In retrospect, that was so overblown yeah. because, like, it, like it, the, the industry was what lip syncing? This has been going. We didn't know this was going on. It's only been going on forever. <laughs> like people have been lip syncing for literally decades. And those those two guys got a raw deal. I think they they got a raw deal. They got a raw but deal. they you know they they did a good job at it. Right. I just think they, they, if you, with the inside, and I know there were some documentaries and, and they looked into it, and those guys, they really got a, a pretty. They were broad, just dancers they're now, that looked better than the singers, Exactly. Right? And, and they're, but, but gee, that's called entertainment, yeah. you know, please. Right. Um, so, anyway, just. They were reality stars before reality yeah, TV shows happened. Yeah, they didn't want it. Oh, well. It was on this day in 2000, a film company paid. $1,079,500 for over nine hours of film shot during the 70s by Yoko Ono. Oh. Wow. The film contained shots. Um, 1.0795. So more than a million dollars. Yeah, it was over a million dollars. All right. And what was the uh, film? The film contained shots of John Lennon smoking oh, hash there you go. and talking about his political okay. beliefs. I didn't, a million dollar yeah, I believe, hot film. That's in what year? 2000. All right. So that seems undervalued years. now. I mean, it was. It, look, if I when you said Yoko Ono, I thought if this is some avant-garde film of like a tree or a leaf falling from a tree or you know something, a piece of plastic blowing across a lawn, you're like, oh yeah, great. Yeah. But it's film of John Lennon, so you know, smoking hash. 
So it's got to be worth over a million I'm shocked. He did drugs? What? The less you know. Yes. And finally, in 2001, in this date, a stretch of the Highway 19 in Macon, Georgia, was named Dwayne Allman Boulevard. It was near the place where he mm. died at the age of 24. It only took him 30 years to name that piece of highway after right. Dwayne Allman. Yeah. The Allman Brothers. Died in 1971. Wait, ended on a down note. Don't you have anything positive to end this show on? Um, tomorrow's Friday. What are we going to be talking about tomorrow? What are we going to be talking about on Friday's show? Well, we're hoping that Tim Robinson is uh, back well, in the fold. To speak. Uh, yeah. yeah, so uh, we, we may or may not be talking to Tim Robinson. We are going to be talking to our good friend Bonnie Runyon. Our, oh, right. Our octogenarian I forgot about that. is going to be joining us tomorrow. And do we have an in the spotlight tomorrow? Uh, yes, we do. We'll be talking with David Moan. Yes. Uh, he is an actor who will be starring in, as a matter of fact, tomorrow night is uh, opening night, uh, official opening night, uh, for the uh, musical Gutenberg. The musical. Yeah. And, uh, and and David Moan, we've talked to him before. Uh, very funny guy, and I'm looking forward to seeing that show. And as a matter of fact, uh, me and my wife are going to go see that show uh, as well. So uh, we'll be talking to you. Uh, to David, you know, you could you could take tomorrow. a couple stickers. I think you. I will. I Maybe absolutely you can hand will. Them out at the door, it's like comes free with your <laughs> so, ticket. What, what is this? <laughs> I'm just giving <laughs> it all that, away. I came to see a show. What is this crap? <laughs> uh, so yeah, so we've got a kind of an action-packed show tomorrow. Yeah. And Neil and, Woodward and, join us? and maybe the Michigan Troubadour, possibly. Maybe. Let me check. We our got email. a big fat maybe. Let me check email. We got a big. We don't fat. have a confirmation yet, but the no. plan is, we'll put it this way: the plan is, is that we're going to talk with uh, Neil Woodward tomorrow. Of course, Michigan's troubadour, uh, based right here in Livingston County, okay. and he is going to be uh, one of the musical guests at the concert for Ukraine. His name is first. I think yeah. Neil is the headline. You could say he's when the headline. You're the Michigan troubadour. You deserve. Neil's to be a pretty laid-back, humble yeah. guy, though. I, I don't know that he'd say, "Oh, I'm the I'm the headliner." Yeah. But uh, also Matt Watroba, the Stilton John Band. Uh, Mustard's Retreat, Kitty Donahoe, Grammy Award winner, Dan, uh, uh, Dan Hall, and others. Uh, and the concert for Ukraine, Saturday, March 26th, 7 p.m., and that's going to be at St. Mary Magdalene, uh, and, uh, of course, raising money that's going to go uh, to Catholic Relief Services to help the people of Ukraine. So hopefully tomorrow we will be able to talk with Neil Woodward about that. So we have an action-packed show. We do. Maybe. We need to rest we up. We might have Tim Robinson. We, <laughs> we might, might have, Neil, have Woodward. Neil Woodward. We we might talk to Bonnie. We might talk we, to We Bonnie. probably will. I think we will. Bonnie's pretty reliable. All right. Not that, not that Neil Woodward isn't reliable, mind you. We just haven't confirmed that. And Tim Robinson uh, will. Our staff is... It's, yeah. We're working with them. <laughs> we're, we're, we're working on a lot. All right. That's, uh, that's it for You think today, that's right? a wrap? All right, Mike and John got it going on, brought to you by Firehouse Doors. We have some really good post-show content for you YouTubers, too, today. Do we? You know, it's not just YouTubers that get the post-show content. Facebookers get it, too. Because we, we, we post yeah, to Facebook directly, yeah. so... So you get the FB content. You get the, it's like bonus. It's for better a, than the FU content yes, that most FB. people get. <laughs> really? Air guitar? I played a guitar. See, right there. That's me. Hand over the strings <laughs> like this. I was a natural. <laughs> it's a bassist. The ladies love the bass. Oh, I, I played guitar. 